is up, everybody. Hey, so as you can tell, I am not Casey. A uh, little shorter, a little smaller. Um, Casey is out with the Rona, uh, but he's fine, safe. He's got the antibodies now. He's just a little tired, so he asked me to fill in for him today. Um, before we get started, I want to pray over our tithe and offerings uh, first. So, God, we just thank you um, for providing for us as, as a church as well as individuals. I pray that you bless the tithe that we give to you. It's, it's something that you, you call us to test you in because you're faithful. And so I pray that you bless it. Continue to just turn our hearts and posture our hearts at a place where we're, we're willing and wanting to give back. All right, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews 11. Um, we're going to be wrapping up our Heroes of the Faith series uh, with the account of David. But before we do that, I... I want us to go back and, and really get a picture of what faith is. And so Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their condemnation. Commendation, not condemnation, sorry. I know I was messing it up. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. There are two words that stick out, this assurance and conviction. And so if you don't know what assurance means, it's a positive declaration intended to give confidence. It can't be a negative. You, you don't assure people in a negative connotation. So it says, now faith is a positive declaration intended to give confidence. Of the things hoped for. And conviction is a fixed, firm belief. The fixed belief of things not seen. And so as we've, we've gone from Abraham to Jonah and everybody in between, it feels like, we've seen all these different promises that God has given us. And we've seen them in generations like Abraham where God gives the promise that he's going to be the father of many nations not come true until Jacob. Right? Until he called his six twelve tribes of Israel. And even then, Jacob didn't even get to see the fruition of God's promise. But Moses did. When the Israelites were as numerous as the grains of sand. And Casey talked last week about Jonah and how it was very hard to pray blessing over the people. Today we're going to be talking about King David and how he graciously suffered under King Saul. So if you have Bibles, turn with me to 1 Samuel 11. And it says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. 
Stay in a secret place and hide yourself, and I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good tidings. For he took his life in the hand in his hand, and he struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it, and you rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Keep that in mind. That little snapshot of the verse. Sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause. And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought Saul to David, brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as before. And there was again war. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was praying to David. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him that he might kill him in the morning. Apparently, God didn't live long in the mind of Saul. But Michal, David's wife, told him, If you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. David did nothing wrong. Nothing. He served Saul well. He served God well. He was God's anointed. So was Saul because Saul was still king and David was serving him. But Saul's jealousy and anger towards David was kindled time and time again as he saw David's success. As it usually happens, it's really hard for me not to be jealous of people that I know are doing real well. I think we all have we all have that problem. And it says, Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear. And this harmful spirit of the Lord indicates that there was spiritual attack on Saul because he had let Satan in through his jealousy and anger. And so he sends men to kill David. Well, first he tries to pin him with a, with a spear. That didn't work. Saul wasn't a good shot, apparently. Um, so when that failed, he kept Jonathan out of it because Jonathan talked him out of killing David the first time. And he sent messengers to David's house to watch him and kill him. And when David learns about this, we see his response in Psalm 59. And in Psalm 59 it says, Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men. Stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Sound familiar? Sounds like what Jonathan was saying in Psalm 59. Awake, come, meet me and see. You, Lord, God of hosts, 
our God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of them who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I watch for you. For you, O God, are my praise. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down and glorify shame. For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride for the cursing and lies that they utter. Consume them, O God. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wonder for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praise to you. For you the God who shows us justice. So David is in the midst of all of his enemies right now, right? We see that in verse 6. It says, each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They are There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. David can see these guys and hear them from his window, right? He sees them scouring the city, trying to find him so that they can devour him. And they were ready to because it would mean promotion within Saul's ranks. And it's the same for us today as Christians. Dude, the world throws everything in our face and laughs at us. It's like, what are you guys doing? Whether it's abortion, whether it's everything going on in Afghanistan, whether it's the election, coronavirus, whatever. You turn on the news, any news channel, and they'll give you the rundown. I think it's like every hour. I don't watch the news, so. So what's supposed to be our response to all this? All this stuff that gets thrown at us, and we have no idea how to handle it. Especially when we're innocent to it, right? David says, for no transgression or sin of mine is, for no fault is mine from They're coming for me. I haven't done anything wrong. I've been following on your path this whole time, and now more people are coming to kill me. What's up with that? And he says, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. And and if you don't know what rouse means, it means to bring out of a state of inactivity. Um, Almost like a dad. My dad, when we were growing up, Whenever we play video games for too long or watch TV, he'd say, get off your butt and go do something, right? Come on. Get to it. Which is like pretty gutsy to say to God sometimes. It's bold. But 
God desires, if you look at the Psalms, there are no weak prayers. He desires us to be bold. And then in verse 9, it shows God's response. It says, but you, O Lord, lack nothing. Behold, all the nations in derision. And to hold in derision means to hold in ridicule or mockery. And that's been like a hard concept for me to grasp as I try to imagine what God would sound like laughing mockingly at somebody like, <laughs> you idiot, you thought you could win. Like, that just doesn't sound like anything God would say, but that's, but that's how he's set up against all the foolishness of the world. Foolishness cannot outbeat or outlast wisdom in any capacity, even though it seems to run rampant everywhere. this cool little little verse verse 11 it says kill them not lest my people perish make them totter by your power and bring them down this word totter means to shake or tremble and it's literally God make them shake with your power let them understand the weight of your glory and your power because they don't otherwise there wouldn't be half the foolishness in this world. But he also says, kill them not, lest my people perish. And if you, you have your Bibles with you, and I think it might be up on the screen, the, the subheading and the heading for verse 59 is, deliver me from my enemies to the choir master according to do not destroy a victim of David when Saul sent him to watch his house in order to kill me. And so right here, we're set up with two different responses. Deliverance and destruction. It is so easy to pray for destruction. You hear it? The world's going to hell in a handbasket. I just, the amount of times a day that I hear, I wish the rapture would just happen. I wish God would come back and end it all. But what good would that David is saying this right here. He puts up these two different views for us for a reason. It's seen in verse 11. Kill them not, lest my people perish. If God came and eradicated all the evil in heaven, what would we learn? God's a teacher. He teaches us things. And if you don't know your biblical history, the times of the judges, the times of the king, when a judge would die, sometimes it didn't even take a full generation for the people to return to the wickedness of their fathers. And it sucks because it's like, dude, he could just come and take it all out. All out. But what benefit would that be? Right? Because if, if David had prayed, God, just destroy them all right now and make me king forever, Amen. He would have lost the opportunity to minister in the wilderness and be ministered to by God. So instead, he prays for deliverance. And it didn't look like what he thought it would, I don't know. But he wanders in the wilderness and in the mountains and in the caves and in the tombs. But as he does, God continues to bring the people to him. 
so much so that David is able to change an entire nation by hiding out in the wilderness. Because people are just flocking to him. Oh, we heard David was in the wilderness. Let's go. He had nothing. But he had his community. He had people coming to him, seeking him for help and for guidance. He was shepherding the people of Israel without being their shepherd. He was still submissive to Saul. There were chances that David had a couple chances to just obliterate Saul and all his enemies. But he didn't because Saul was still his anointed master. And David was still the servant. so want the destruction of our enemies. We so much want the destruction of people. But when God delivers us from evil, we're able to teach and love and to grow together. And as I, as I process through all this, I really wonder that, that verse 3 and 4, for no transgression of sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, run with death. Why did David have to go through this? Why? We find the answer in 1 Peter 2.18. Give me a second. It says, Servants be subjects to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and to the gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? That's punishment. But if you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So David understood something that took most of us up until Peter came along. And it took Peter a long time to get this too, because he screwed up like everybody. He realized it's okay to be where God has you because God's with you. It doesn't matter if people are trying to kill you. It doesn't matter if everybody hates you. It's okay because you're right where God has you. And guys, this is hard. <laughs> it's hard because God is a good God, but he's
works everything out for his glory and purpose, but sometimes the places where we're called to go, where the things we're called to undergo, where the things we have to do are not safe. That's why you hear about Christian missionaries being martyred for the donuts. That's why you hear about Christian churches, home churches in China, having to fear for their lives, but still living in freedom in the gospel because God is good. ourselves our own fortress instead of letting God be our fortress like David constantly God my fortress my tower my my shield how many times Ben my fortress my tower my shield I'm counting on you to do this and I fail and I let myself down because our fortresses are made to stay stationary they can't move If I'm fortifying myself in, I can't grow. I can't let other people in. I can't engage with other people. But when God is our fortress, it's like a fortress on wheels. It's cool. Or I was thinking of this analogy too. It's like Iron Man. It's like being protected by the Iron Man armor. For those of you who do not watch Marvel movies, I am so sorry. You're, you're protected by a suit. Pete earlier uh, today read from Psalm 139, and the scripture says he hems us in behind and before. And if you're not an artsy-fartsy person like I am, to, to put it in perspective, it, God encapsulates us. He wraps us in himself so that when people start throwing stones and start reviling and start mocking and start trying to kill us, we can stand firm in the protection of God. Yeah, we might get bruised, blistered, worn down. God's there protecting us the entire time. Why? Because he just doesn't care about the flesh. He cares about this. He cares about the spirit inside of us. And so, as we close, I want to ask you, changing on my ass though, so this won't be on my podcast. Are you letting God defend you by using him? Are you running to him as a fortress or are you trying to be your own immovable object? Are you trying to fight back what God's called you to do? Not necessarily flee. Flee is not a bad thing. But it's the heart posture. Are we praying for deliverance for our enemies, for our nation, for everything? Or are we praying for the destruction of evil so that it can just be done and it feels like we can finally breathe? yourself to God. Get off your butt and do something. Or are we realizing that he's already working in you? And so as we, we go about your day,
like you to take at least 30 minutes. Whether you're asking for deliverance from evil, go to annihilation. Because if we're doing a total annihilation of evil, we're all sinners. Again, some of us are saved by grace, but we're all sinners. If we're praying for deliverance, we're able to still impact people's lives. And there are so many people that could really love to have. Thank you. Thank you that you run toward us. Thank you that we can run to you, hide in you. You take the hits, but then you keep running from us. God, I thank you to suffer and to earn this gracious thing given to us as rewards that we earn. anywhere that you have called us to be or called us to go, it's okay because we're in you fighting. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for Casey letting me preach. I thank you for keeping him safe and helping him stay waterproof there. We love you. Thank you. Alright, you guys dismissed. Go have a great rest here afternoon and day. Yeah. Thank you everybody from Facebook Live.